Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Yeshakoach. The, um, there is probably nothing more definitively Jewish than our inability to agree with each other. With, with each other. I'm sure you're familiar with the classic, very old joke about a Jewish man who is uh, stranded on a desert island. 20, 30 years later, he is found, and he gives a tour of the island to his rescuers to let them know that he didn't just live in squalor, but he developed a beautiful city on this island. And then they come across, and then there are two synagogues. And he turns and says, they ask him why he has two synagogues. There's only one person living on the island. He goes, well, this is the one I go to, and that's the one I never go to. As Rabbi Yitz Greenberg famously said, in noting about the divisions and denominations of Jewish life, conservative, reform, orthodox, reconstructionist, New Age, Haredi, Chardal, modern Orthodox, the denominationalism in Judaism is the pluralism of it. Yitz Greenberg famously once said, I don't care what denomination you belong to, just so long as you're ashamed of it. But this idea of differences amongst Jews has a much deeper and longer history, a little bit of it I want to peel off this morning because I think in the Torah portion that we just read, there's an interesting message for us to pay attention to, one that's particularly very timely and very modern. To understand or appreciate the early origins of where this comes from, let's take a look back to 586 before the Common Era, roughly about 2,600 years ago. In 586 uh, before the Common Era, the uh, Babylonian uh, Emperor Sancharib, Senacharib, I think called in English, destroys the first temple. And that is often seen as the cataclysmic, horrible moment, apocalyptic moment in Jewish history, where the tribes, the, uh, the people of Israel are sent to dispersal into Babylon, where they're in exile, and thus the story of the Jewish people in exile begins. But that's not an accurate reading of this history. A true better, more accurate reading of history, as often as the history often is, both on a grand and personal level, is that the downfall that you see actually happens a long time before it actually happens. You hear the boom, but the explosion happened earlier. So let's wind it back a little bit. Let's go to King David and King Solomon. Solomon lives, we know, for 40 years in a united empire that was enormously successful and wealthy. He builds the temple, the first temple of Solomon. And at the end of his 40-year reign, when he passes away, his two sons are unable to agree upon who's going to be the king of Israel, which results in well, the famous story of the man who builds two synagogues, two kingdoms. The northern kingdom known as Mamlechet Yisrael, the kingdom of Israel, is separate from the kingdom of Judah, which surrounds the area of Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, that rough area, and south of there. This story of these two separate kingdoms carries on for about 200 years. In fact, if you were to go to, uh, to modern-day Jerusalem today, inside the old city, there is the remnants of what is known as Hezekiah's Wall, King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, built a wall that expanded the borders of the city of Jerusalem. And why did he do that? 
And that's because roughly about 200 years in, in the year 700, the northern kingdom collapses. The Assyrian Empire is putting tremendous military and economic pressure on the northern kingdom, and it collapses. The northern kingdom, these two separate kingdoms, were not only separate in terms of political realms, they also had two different capital cities. There were two temples. There was one, obviously, in Jerusalem. There was a second in the area of Shamron, on the Samaritan area. When the second kingdom collapses because of the Assyrians, what we know as the ten lost tribes of the people of Israel, they get dispersed because those ten tribes filled out the northern kingdom. Where do they go? We're not entirely sure. But we can make a reasonably educated guess to say that they began their massive exile all along what today is known as the Silk Route, beginning all the way roughly where northern Israel is, Syria and so forth, all the way to its very end in China. There's been considerable amount of research in this. I'm not going to go into it now. If you want to read onto it, I'm sure there's plenty of this on Google. Uh, but the Silk Route and the movement of the Silk Route, that's probably where they made their way. About 150 years later, as I said, in 586, the Babylonians make their way. They destroy the Assyrians. They take over the empire. The Babylonians come and destroy the city of Jerusalem exiling the remainder of the kingdom of Judah all the way into Babylon. And it is there that something remarkable happens. The remarkable thing that happens is that the story of the Jewish people as a people not only tied to a land, but the idea that Judaism could, could be observed anywhere in the world begins to take shape, which is to say, that if that destruction hadn't happened, and if the Israelites had not been dispersed and exiled into Babylon, if they had not been forced to consider whether or not they could still observe the religion and the identity of the people of Israel outside of the land of Israel, we would not be here today. There would be no idea that you could be a Jew in Toronto. It would not exist. But that's not my point. My point is, 70 years later, the Jews of Babylon under Sirius the Great, Cyrus the Great, excuse me, is allowed to return to Israel. He even gives them money to rebuild the temple. And when they make their way back to Israel and reassemble and fix the temple from its destruction, who are the Jews that go back? In the history that is recorded of those Jews who assemble, we know that there are no tribes except for Kohen, Levi, and Yisrael, which in fact is what we still observe today, is it not? In a, in a more sane, healthier, normal times, uh, when there is not the concerns of COVID and we're allowed to gather, when Jews are called to the Torah, we often delineate people based upon their tribal affiliation. If your father was a Kohen, a priest, you're considered a Kohen. If your father was a Levi, a Levite, like my father was, I'm a Levite. And if you're none of those, then you're an Israelite. And where does that come from? 
That comes from the effect of the destructions of the first temple, the exile into Babylon, and then when the Israelites come back, none of those tribes are there anymore. There are no, there's no tribe of God or Naphtali or Simeon or Benjamin or anything like that. They're gone, forever lost. They are history, and there's no present in them. And so all we had was Kohen, Levi, and Yisrael. Why do I talk about this? In this morning's Torah portion, we read about the particular laws surrounding the Kohen, the high priest. The Kohen, the high priest, as I'm sure many of you know, has some particular laws surrounding them. They're not allowed to come into contact with the dead, with the exception of their closest relatives. They're not allowed to go to cemeteries or to funerals. There's prohibitions against Kohanim about priests marrying divorcees. Number of particular laws surrounding who they are and what they are. And there are some in the Jewish world who say that we should abolish or eliminate tribal distinctions. That if your father was a Kohen or if he was a Levi, really that should be of no matter or distinction to you. That this idea of historical kind of tribal affiliations flies in the face of personal determinism. In other words, the kind of life that everyone establishes for themselves on the merit of the person that they are. That why should what your historical genetics, your, your genetic link was that my great-great-great-great-grandfather was a Levite. What the difference does that make to me now? That the whole idea of these tribal affiliations, some argue, should be completely eliminated. That when you look out in the sea of Jews, you shouldn't see some Kohanim and some Levites. You should just see Jews, and that's all. But it seems to me that there's an important lesson in this as to why we should retain it. It's the idea of where our divisions bring us, of the dangers of what carries when we build too many walls around ourselves, when, when we begin to see each other not merely by our differences, but that our differences also create enemies. That you're not just different from me, but that you're a danger to me is a slope that I dare say that we're on. You know, a few weeks ago after the latest round of Israeli elections, um, Israel's version of political satire, it's a beautiful show called Eretz Nehderet, which has been running for 30 plus years in Israel. And they had a, uh, a very poignant and difficult to listen to segment wrapped in some comedy, satire for sure, about the state of peopleness amongst the people of Israel. They said, you know, when you go to Sweden, they don't have like Russian Swedes and Yemenite Swedes and Syrian Swedes and Persian Swedes and all these other guys, Swedes. He goes, no, you go to Sweden, there's Swedes there. And that's how they see each other. He goes, no, but amongst the Jews, all we focus on is how we're different from each other. That even though on some level, the tribes of Israel disappeared many thousands of years ago, we are still deeply preoccupied with building tribes and not a tribe. The warning 
that I think that occurs every Shabbat and Monday and Thursday when the Torah is taken out and we call Jews to the Torah and we call them by their tribal affiliation is not to pay tribute to the tribes. It is to provide a warning to Jews. And that is, just because someone is different from you, it doesn't mean they're your enemy. The warning of the history is clear to us. There are certainly differences amongst Jews, Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionists, of all different stripes and natures. But it's our job to see that those differences, as I said, should not create an enemy out of the other person. We actually, actually all do love and care for the same thing. The people of Israel, the state of the people of Israel, and the state of Israel. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.